0: Well, we have a special treat this morning. Mr. Buddy McNorto is going to be speaking to us today from the old King James. Or the new King James. Oh, it's the new King James. Fresh. We are you so fresh? So fresh and so clean, clean. Yay! Well, we'll see about that in a minute. All right. All right. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. How does that sound, Colossians 3? I guess... But thank you, and uh, i be signing New King James Version of the Bibles after service, I guess now. I'm going to stand up. I don't, I don't do real well sitting down for some reason. It's like I'm always leaning forward in the chair. I always feel like I'm just going to take a nosedive. So I'm going to stand here at this uh, retro cool table, be a super hip millennial pastor for the next 45 minutes, <laughs> though my jeans are not tight enough for that. So excuse me, I'm sorry. I did that's uh, yes, yes, I got one. I have a neck, I'm getting a neck tattoo of a verse in Hebrew that I don't even really know what it says, but uh, that's all that matters. Get a Chinese one here, you know, cover all the bases. Might get some Aramaic going down my foot right there, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe an arrow right here, compass right over there, or something you know, just cover all the bases so I can be relevant. And <laughs> I know, right? All the tattoos, all the tattoos, though I notice now that, in, well, maybe I shouldn't talk about this too much. Anyways, I will anyway. But uh, I've noticed now that I've like seen some of these like younger like, youth pastor guys and they got like tattoos on their hands, not willing to make that commitment. All right. So, you know, I don't want to struggle. Yeah, exactly. Including those people that struggle in job interviews. So, (laughs) so so can you explain what that love-hate thing means? Well, I can later. Just give me the job, please. Did he? He sure did. In his hand, yeah, right there. I'll get one when you get one, Andrew. So, you're gonna have to definitely take the lead on that one. So. I want to see how it looks from a distance as you're up here playing the bass, you know. (laughs) All right, now that we've completely went off the rails, Colossians chapter (laughs) 3. Goodness gracious. All right, Colossians chapter number 3. And I want to speak to you this morning on this idea that Christ is the death of me. Have you ever uh, been involved in something and you're like, this thing's going to be the death of me? You know what I mean? Um, I've been in that situation plenty times in life, and it's never been usually in a positive context, usually in a negative context. Uh, Christ being the death of me is actually a positive uh, because of what that entails, what I actually gain from that. Uh, I believe that Christ being the death of the believer uh, is the half of the gospel that isn't presented very often. Um, A lot of the times we present the gospel as in you are bringing something to God and then he's reworking it. Uh, and that is actually not in the Bible anywhere. I mean, not even close. It's not even, it might make for a really good invitation of just as I am when you sing one more verse of. I went to a church one time in Niceville, Florida, and the guy, we sang just as I am at the invitation so many times, I honestly considered going up and faking getting saved to just release everybody from the hostage situation. <laughs> I was like, this is insane, you know? Anyways, uh, we put an emphasis in Christianity, and I think so, and not, not on purpose. I think a lot of the things we find ourselves a little sayings that we have, uh, I, don't, I don't think we do that on purpose. I think they just kind of evolve over time, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like cleanliness is next to godliness. Surprise, not in the Bible either, and uh, it maybe it should be if you have an 8 to 10-year-old boy, but it's not in there, so... One of, those, one of the things that we talk a lot about is us giving our life to Jesus. We talk about that a lot as believers. Now, I understand the intentionality behind it. All right, I get it. So I'm not criticizing anybody that says that. I know what they mean by it. And when they stand up and they give an invitation and they say, uh, come give your life to Jesus, I know what they mean. I know what they're shooting at. And the only reason I know what they're shooting at is because I've been in church long enough to know the jargon. But if you're not familiar with the gospel, that kind of jargon kind of gets confusing, you know. The fact of the matter is we don't give anything to Jesus, all right? You have nothing to give to Jesus. When you come to Jesus, Jesus says, thank you very much. He carries that over to the cross, and he nails it there, and it dies. That's what happens. We don't really hand him over anything. If anything, he's giving something to us. That's the, and he has to take away that part of us. Uh, that is hindering the the receiving of the gift. Now, I don't want to get too deep into all that because um, I might confuse myself sometimes. So I don't want to do that. But I do want to look at the Scriptures and talk about that. That's always safe, I hope. All right, so Colossians 3 and verse number 1. And uh, I really wanted to go all the way down to verse number 10, but we all know it's not going to happen. So uh, we're just going to look at the first four verses, and hopefully that'll happen. All right, so verse 1 uh, Paul's right writing here, he says, uh, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. I, and I'm going to have to pick my Bible up, I need bifocals or something. Uh, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you're, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with Him... In glory, And then he goes on in the next verses, and he gives how that plays out in our Christian life and what the death of us actually looks like. So hopefully, let's just read it. Let's just do that, all right? In verse 5, he says, Therefore, now as a result of we're dead, our life's hidden with Christ in God. When we appear, when He appears, we'll appear with Him. Those three things, that's the three main things he's talking about here. He says, Therefore, Uh, Put to death. Now, this is our responsibility. Now, and I'll say this as well, as I was looking back over this. It dawned on me, these aren't even things you have to pray about. The prayer has already been answered for you. All right? So if you're praying about any of these things, here's your answer. Okay? Uh, He says, therefore, put to death uh, your members which are now upon the earth. Talk about your body. Fornication, which is a Greek word where we get the the Greek word for fornication is pornerias or pornia which uh, we get the English word pornography or porn from. And so fornication is like, what's fornication? Well, fornication is any illicit sexual act outside of the bounds of marriage. That's fornication. If you're not married, you can fornicate. If you're married, you can actually commit fornication. You also commit adultery. And so he says, this is a thing that you just put to death in your body. You take it away from your body. Your body does not do this thing, all right? It's not what it was made for. He goes on and he says, uncleanness, um, and these words are very generic, uncleanness, uh, passion. Passion isn't this idea. It's kind of a driving force to where you will do anything necessary to get what you want. That's what this word means. We call those types of people bullies. Uh, We'll refer to them as bulldozers. You know, they'll just run you down. They are in control of the situation. You will do what they want you to do, and there's going to be hell to pay if you do not do it. All right, A person that is full of passion. They are not concerned about anybody else around them other than their goal. That's what this means right here. He goes on and he says, evil desire. I mean, pretty self-explanatory, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, covetousness. Now, this is interesting how he describes this. This covetousness, which is idolatry. That's pretty interesting. I love, how, I love it when the Bible explains itself. It makes this job so much easier, you know? He says, now in verse number six, notice this. This is a verse that'll scare you if you don't pay attention to what it actually says. Because he says, uh, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Now, that's not saying the wrath of God is coming upon you because of these things. He's saying that the people that are under the wrath of God because of unforgiveness of sins, this is the things they do. This is where they're at. So, what is the conclusion? What is he insinuating? Don't do those things. That's what he's saying. He goes on uh, in verse number, let's see here, verse 7. And he says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. And this is what I love in verse number 9. He doesn't tell you to put off the old man. He just comes out and he says, and you've put off the old man he just he he is and i don't want to say he assumes but he he theologically assumes that when we believe the gospel we understand that that old man has been put off where and when jesus put that off for us he took that off of us and he put that to the cross that's romans chapter 6 and then he goes on and he says do not lie to one another excuse me verse 10 and have put all, and have put on the new man who was renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, all those verses all build off of the first four verses that we read, okay? So that's why I wanted to kind of go through them, and then we'll back up and see why did he say all of that stuff. I read about a law a while back that uh, some town, some little town in New Jersey has put into play, and it, it seems a bit you know, ridiculous to have to make this into a law. I guess it's just another reason to get some money out of some tickets. I guess I don't know. Uh, but it is, a, it is a distracted, and this is a true thing. This is a, it is a distracted walking law. So if you are looking, and it's really based around cell phones, and if you have been on, I love those face. The only reason I even still have Facebook, number one, is to troll you. Number two. <laughs> It's to make sarcastic comments from time to time. (laughs) And number three is to watch the videos, you know. And uh, I love those videos where it's just people, I I just like to watch you fall down and get hurt. I'm just going to be honest with you, all right? I like watching people trip and fall. I don't know why. It's the basis of nature. They shouldn't have made Facebook, and I wouldn't know it was a genre, all right? And uh, I've seen uh, two videos. I watched them a while, a long time ago. One of them was like a viral video, and it showed this lady, uh, I think it was over in Asia or something, and there was a big hole in the sidewalk. Did you guys see this video? And she was just texting right along and just walked right off into a sinkhole in the middle of the sidewalk. Uh, I like the ones where people are texting and they're walking down the street and they just run right into a pole. Some of you in this room have done that, Kyle. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> he's, Kyle flies a helicopter while he texts. That's a, you do it, don't you? We're on the Internet. Just blink once for yes, twice for no. <laughs> so you see that Coast Guard helicopter going over, you know this Kyle scrolling Facebook. <laughs> and so there's this distracted walkers find that they will give you because people were just walking out into the middle of the street at crosswalks, almost getting hit by cars, uh, all kinds of stuff really what Paul is talking about here in these first four verses is about being distracted it's about being distracted from the main thing um, there's a lot of and I understand this I am an adult man contrary to popular belief I have a lot of I have a lot of responsibilities like you do you know I have children uh, I'm married I have a job for right now uh, I have all these things I have bills on me I have a budget I do I promise I have a budget I didn't say a but we got one. Uh, I have all these things that are around me that clamor for my attention all the time. Things, by the way, that are good things, you know, that are appropriate things to clamor for my attention. Uh, There's a lot of inappropriate things that clamor for my attention. I mean, let's just be honest here. It's not like we all go through our week and our minds and our bodies are assaulted with things that we really honestly in our hearts don't want to have to deal with. And if we could, you know, there is always a way out of those, but the emotional and mental pull on those things wear you down after a while. And so what Paul is talking about here is being, uh, being, not being distracted. And I'm not talking about, I remember that uh, I, there was a guy that came and preached when I was in college, <clears throat> and uh, he said that he was struggling with some things in his life. And in order to remind him that he had been crucified with Christ, he carried around three nails in his pocket. And that any time, which I was like, man, you, you know, sit down the wrong way. You're going to draw blood. But uh, he, uh, he would carry these three nails in his pocket. And any time he got tempted, he'd, put his, he'd you know, reach his hand in there and he'd grab those three nails to remind himself you know, that he was crucified with Christ and nevertheless he lives. And so then he just sinned with three nails in his hand. You know? And that's all that he did because we're constantly looking for, like, these little lucky rabbit's foot type things in our Christian life, help us not only not sin, but the, because the goal of the Christian life is to not not sin. That was deep. Write that down in the fly of your Bible. The goal, is to just, the goal of the Christian life is, to just, is not to just simply stay away from sin. The goal of the Christian life is Christ. It says it in verse number 4, when Christ, who is our life, Shall appear. So Christ is the goal of the Christian life. Not sinning is a byproduct of having Christ as goal, and having Christ as life, I should say. Um, So that's kind of what I want to uh, look at this morning. I love the book of Colossians. It's kind of like the cliff notes of the book of Galatians and Ephesians put together. You know, it's like if you want to get a good idea of what's going on in Galatians and Ephesians, you read four chapters of Colossians, and you kind of got a working idea there. You know what I mean? And what I find interesting about the New Testament, particularly about the writings of Paul, and I think the 14 books, is it 14 or 17, Ben? I can't remember. He doesn't know. No, thanks. You're supposed to be my fact checker, Facebook fact checker. And um, out of those 14 to 17... Just got muted. But uh, 14 to 17 uh, books of the New Testament that Paul wrote. I can't remember which one uh, the number. You can see the same themes throughout. Same themes throughout. He just says the same things over and over and over and over again. You know why? Because throughout history, we've all dealt with the same things over and over and over and over again. And the answer's always been the same uh, since the gospel has went out upon the earth. And so Paul breaks this down for So let's go through here and let's talk about a couple of things. Starting in verse number 1. And uh, let's see here. So 1131, I will not leave Bill in there any longer than an hour and a half. So <laughs> verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ. Now when a lot of times in the New Testament when you see the uh, verse start off with the word if, sometimes we get nervous. It's kind of like Paul sitting back at his desk and he's saying, All right, if you really think you're a believer than this. That's not what's being said here. Uh, When Paul says if, he's kind of, we could replace the word if with the word since, is what we could do. Uh, The phrase itself, and I wrote it down here because I can't remember everything, it really is translated out as for for as much as. We could say it that way as well. So we could say for as much as you were raised with Christ. So the proposition of everything Paul's saying to you and I is this, is listen, I think you're saved. I think you're a believer, and I'm going to treat you as a believer. I've noticed this, that uh, there's a philosophy in Christianity that looks at every believer as suspect. Have you heard this? I mean, I will listen to some preachers, and they're the only ones that are saved. That's it. They're they're not real sure about Bud because Bud's wearing a vest and a vest was invented in like 1871 by a woman. So why would Bud be dressing like a woman in 2021 by wearing a vest? I'm not sure he knows what he really believes, does not make the list, you know. I know that's a bit extreme, but you could take some stuff like that with that philosophy and they're just like, I don't know about that. I doubt that. You know, there's only one verse in Scripture I have ever looked at and, and, and been working with a person and thought to myself, they may not be a believer because of this, and it's in 1 John. And John said, they went out from among us because they were never of us. That's the only verse in the New Testament I know of that has bro- boiled it down to such a basic thing. They went out because they were never really in, and time has just shown that that be the case. So you're safe in your vest, bud. He's a, he's, he was, a, I saw a little bit of sweat run down, you know. So now that I've put him back on the good list, he's a relax again. So number one, he says, a sense or as much as, as you were raised with Christ, he says this, seek those things which are above. Now the, the word seek uh, is a very interesting, very interesting word in the sense that we have misinterpreted often. Now, I don't want to make it sound like when I say these things, and I'm I, I careful, I find myself saying, we well, have misinterpreted this wrong and that wrong. This is not Buddy's private interpretation. I guess I'm speaking a little bit from my own experience and maybe from where I have been wrong in the past as to why I came to this conclusion. Because a lot of the times, if we're not careful, we have this idea of seeking those things which are above, like God is hiding them from us, and we're on a mission to discover them. You know, at least that's the way that I saw it. You know, I'm like, I'm out begging God to show me something about himself. Just begging him. I remember uh, when I was in college, I was uh, pretty good friends with this guy named Ben, coincidentally. And uh, he's a great guy, um, coincidentally. And uh, so we would, uh, after, we would have like a break in classes. So we were real serious about revival breaking out. And uh, we were going to make it happen. And this is how. We went out into the woods, which is where all revivals break out. <laughs> and... Uh, Now, mind you, when I went to an incredibly conservative Bible college, you had to wear a tie, which I think was a form of strangulation on purpose. So we had to wear a tie. We had to wear dress slacks. I mean, we were going to sell car insurance. That's how we were dressed at the time, you know. And so we would go out into the woods there, and uh, this guy was a very animated fella. He was a very animated fella. And uh, we would be praying for revival, which is basically... Us, at the time, begging God to reproduce something he did in 1826. Let's just be honest. We're begging God to do something. That one particular event, we want him to duplicate that event. And so I'm out there praying, and we're seeking. We're seeking super hard. And I look over there, and this guy, Ben, we're, I'm kneeling down. My knees are all dirty, and i got to like go to class next, you know. I look over, Ben is sitting Indian style on the ground, and he is grabbing handfuls of dirt and leaves and just throwing them in the air, screaming. And some of you guys think I'm not charismatic. And so, <laughs> you ever threw dirt and leaves in the air and prayed? Check, this Baptist did. All right, so, <laughs> so back off. <laughs> So we're seeking, we're seeking, we're seeking. But you know what? When you look at these scriptures, the ones that we read all the way down, is that the way seeking looked? The way seeking looked is much different than the way we think it looks. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, though I was literally like brushing ants out of my hair. Uh, But nonetheless, this idea of seeking is this idea of not looking for something that's hidden. It's going after something that's already been revealed. All right, so when we're, see, we're we were out there trying to find something that we didn't know how to get. And a lot of Christians get very frustrated in their Christian life because that's what they want. They want something that they, they really don't know what it is, they don't know where it's at, and they'll read 73 different books that tell them how to get it and then they follow the procedures, and then it doesn't happen. So depending on how tenacious we are, we either find a different procedure or we just kind of give up or we say it doesn't work or we move in a different direction or whatever the case may be. This seeking that God's talking about here is going after what you know is already revealed. So he says if you're raised with Christ, seek that. Seek the risen Christ, what you know to be real about the risen Christ. That's what Jesus meant Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? It wasn't like he was telling them to seek after something they didn't know what it was. He was telling them something real. Seek after him, the kingdom, and his righteousness. Seek after those things. And then all these other things, what did he say? Are going to be added to you. See, we want to go to the things that are added to us that we're not sure what they are. And we want to skip the first part of that, so to speak. Not that it's a formula. Not saying it's a formula. Don't be updating your Twitter with a new formula right now, please. Psalms chapter 42. Uh, As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. And notice what he says. When shall I come and appear before God? What was the emphasis of all of that? The person of God himself. All right. My soul pants after you. Um, long before Angela could comprehend the will of God for her life and to know that she should marry me, I would seek her. All right. Not stalk. Big difference there. All right. <laughs> Big difference between stalk and seek. All right. Uh, one of the first interactions I had with Angela was right up here. I think I almost hit her in the head with a chair. <laughs> At least that's what she thought happened. So anyways, we were up here, and all I knew about her is she liked organic stuff. And so I exhausted my knowledge of organic material, which was I like to buy whole milk if I can get it. That was about it. (laughs) Or I drank, what was it? I think I drank, like, raw milk when I was in Colorado once. That's all I had. I just went with it, you know. And uh, we did that. And then we had, uh, so I was like, okay, here's an excuse. I'll bring that up. We can have a conversation. And uh, so then we would like officially shake hands at church, you know. I was like, hello, how are you? Hello, thank you for coming here. You know, that was kind of another way. The other way is remember when we had that fried chicken thing we did out here one day? Do you remember that? I don't remember what it was. For some reason told me, somebody told me that some of the, the chicken batter that we were frying it in was gluten-free. I think that was Ben. I think he set me up on that one. And so I saw Angela and I said, oh, I believe some of this chicken batter is all I had. I was just going with what I had, you know. I mean, give me a break. So I was running with what I had. And I said, I think some of this chicken batter is gluten-free. Her response was, are you mocking me? <laughs> that is what you call game, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Now she's contractually obligated to listen to my mockery. (laughs) You see, the seeking aspect in that moment was this. I went after what I knew. That's what I went after. It was impossible. Now think about this. It would have been impossible for me to go after her based on what I didn't know. I could only seek after her based on what I did know. Now I know a whole lot more. The book will be out next year. So (laughs) he says, then, uh, he says, if then, or as much as then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Notice what he says, where Christ is, where he's already at. It's not like he's hiding behind a tree somewhere and we got to go figure it out. He says, and he's seated at the right hand of God. All right, so we kind of covered that. Let's look at verse 2. He, now, he, you, he, he said, seek in verse 1, verse number 2, now he says, set. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, uh, the word set, so we got seek, we got set, I am alliterating my message, and that's the way God did it, all right? So, take it up with him. When I think of the word set, I got to kind of look at this in the uh, original languages, which is dangerous for me, I guess. And the best way that I could describe this word, uh, you guys, some of you guys don't remember this, which is funny, Um, but I remember when the Gulf War happened, that was like, it was televised, it was like, it was so weird, it was like, here's a war that is basically being televised like a football game, you know, it was just the oddest thing. I was scared to death, I think I was, and here you go for some of you that are older than me, I believe, what, about the seventh grade, I think? Seventh grade. I was in the seventh grade when the Gulf War hit. Yeah, some of you are like, "Well, I was on my second retirement plan then," but uh, but uh, <laughs> I knew I had just enough Bible knowledge to make me dangerous in those days. And I can remember from a kid, uh, I went to a church out in St. Elmo, and they played this video of I can't remember what it was. All our, it was about end times, and I just remember the the video. It was like on a reel to reel type of a projector type thing. And uh, so it was like one part, I just remember like a pile of burning bodies and somebody getting their head cut off, and the moon was blood red. That's the only three things I remembered, all right? So I didn't see any guillotines in the street, and there weren't burning bodies. This was what they were showing us at church. scared me to death. I think I got baptized ten times. I don't remember. (laughs) That was a lot. And then uh, one of them was the moon was blood red. Well, I knew if the moon was blood red, I was toast. You know what I mean? I didn't know why I was toast. I just remember the movie said I was toast. I would look out of this is no lie, without exaggeration, every night I would look out of my window to make sure the moon wasn't blood red because I'm sitting here watching a war go down in the Middle East and from what the movie said, it was either blood red moon or get your head chopped off in a guillotine, so I was super worried about it. I said all that to say this, that during, (laughs) I went way around the tree on that one, um, during the Gulf War is when they uh, were really emphasizing these laser-guided missiles. You remember those things? I remember they were like the reporters were all about the laser guided missile, you know what I mean? And then they're like showing video of like the missile coming in and hitting the target. And uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong if you're in the military, but I think this is how it works basically, whatever they just put a laser pointer for the most part, I know this is a, probably an oversimplification, on the target and they shoot the missile, the missile picks up the laser and goes right where the laser's pointed, all right? That's almost, that's a very good indica- or a very good description of what this word set means, all right? The setting of it is, is that laser pointed to the target, all right? And that missile following in that laser and hitting the target that it's being, being pointed out. So in verse number 2, in verse 1, he's saying, we seek after those things that are already in front of us. We seek out of those th- after those things we know. Then when we, under- when we grasp those things, we set our minds on them. We focus our minds on that, okay? Now, that is easier said than done. The most difficult thing that will ever die in your life is the way that you think things ought to be, all right? It's difficult for me, just ask Angela, all right? I've thought certain ways and done certain things this way for you know, so many years, and, you know, this is the gospel truth. The way that I think about this came out of the grave with Jesus Christ, and so as a result, it is set in stone, and uh, it is going to take electroshock therapy to get it out of my mind. But those are the most difficult things we deal with, isn't It's putting to death the way that we think things ought to be. It is slow going in that area. It often is traumatic. It really, and to an extent, it's very traumatic. You know why? Because we we often say, "Well, God broke me of that." No, actually, most of the time He did not. Most of the time, He just says, "All right, keep going with the way that you're thinking." Then, and we just keep going with the way that we think it. We think, and then we step, like the Book of Proverbs says, "We step in a hole and break our foot." That's the Buddy Revised Standard Translation. And then we're laying on the ground with a broke foot. And then we think to ourselves for the first time in our lives, maybe that's not right. And the Holy Spirit of God says, maybe you ought to think over here about this. And then God shows us something that's in plain sight. And we're like, oh, God revealed this great thing. Yeah, it only took you breaking your foot before you stopped to look at it. And I know that's an extreme example, but how many times has that happened in our lives? How many times has it happened? Where we just run headlong into a wall, and it isn't so much, if we're not careful, we make God out to be this guy that's throwing roadblocks up in front of us rather than this guy that's walking with us. You know what I mean? There's a big, there's two different ways of looking at our Christian walk. And so when God says to set these things in play, it doesn't. This, this, I'm, remember, in the woods, throwing dirt, super emotional, this isn't always emotional feeling. This is very rational at times to where you have to say, all right, I understand now the way that I'm thinking here, and I see what God is saying about the way I should think here. So I have a choice to make in that moment, and those choices are very hard because our emotions feel way more real than they actually are when it comes to what's true sometimes, and there's a battle there. I, maybe I'm just preaching to the choir at this moment because that's the way that I feel about things. Uh, I have emotions. The other half, robot part of me that is, you know, the part of me that's not robot does have those emotions. You know, like I am sad. That's what I hear in my brain. You know, I am sad. You know, one you know diode of a tear falls out of my eye, and then I pick it up and put it back because that's where tears belong, and. Uh, <laughs> The best way I could, uh, another way I could describe this idea of setting your mind on something is actually something Angela can do. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it that way. It's something that Angela can do that I cannot do. And uh, we can be either at home or in the car or anywhere, really, and a, there is a machine gun fire of a word that will come out of nowhere, and it sounds like this, mama, 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 mama. Now, I'm not going to say who it is that does it, but her name may rhyme with Ivy. And so just mama, 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 just lobbing grenades. Mama, mama, that's a big grenade, you know, throw one in there. Boom, clear out the trenches. Mama, mama, mama. And she's just scrolling through her phone. I, on the other hand, I'm like getting out a knife at mama number two. You know, I'm like, we're young, she's young. You know, I mean, I, you know. <laughs> There's plenty of time here, you know. Get a ninja throwing star out. I'm going to I'm like, what? I just, you know, if you're a man, you understand this, all right? You know, mama, mama, what? You just lose your mind, you know. How could you possibly say it so many times? What do you want? I'm thirsty. Just swerve the car off the road at that point, you know. <laughs> it's not even worth living anymore. <laughs> She and Angela could hear mama 997 times and then just casually look up and then say, did you say something? <laughs> I can't do that. I'm just, I'm not wired that way. Dawn, Dawn, she is like, she needs a cape of blocking out things that go on around her. I mean, anyways, that's what the word set means. <laughs> right? Mamas can set. You know, they can focus in on what needs to be done and what needs to happen in that moment rather than the whole world burning down around them, all right? So what does God say? He says you set your mind on the things that are above, all right? It's a choice that you make. It is, and I dare say, a discipline that we learn. And he says not on things of the earth. You know why? Because things on the earth are constantly changing. You live on one of the most disappointing, spherical, spherical round objects on the face of the earth, all right? It is disappointing. It is exact. <laughs> Let's back up for Lydia's sake. The place in which you live, the object that travels the universe in which you are on, is circular, all right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I know. There, there, there is somebody somewhere starting a YouTube channel about me as we speak, I'm sure. What's that? It's, like, it's not a space pizza. <laughs> One way or the other, you're going to be disappointed is all I got to say, all right? <laughs> and uh, living here is disappointing. It is. It is incredibly disappointing. I got disappointing news. I went to work Friday. I hadn't been, was it? Yeah, I went to work Friday. I hadn't been to work since... The 18th of December, I was on vacation, and then I got sick, and I couldn't go back. Uh, so, actually, it was pretty good. And so, <laughs> I finally went back Friday, and right out of the gate, I got some incredibly disappointing news that very well could affect my job in a few months, you know. And I'm not saying that for your sympathies. It's just an illustration, all right. But uh, the point being is this, is out of nowhere, I didn't expect that going into work that day. I did not expect that, but I got it. So, now what do I got to do with that? I was disappointed and angry and some other things. I was just a whirling dervish of emotion at the time. I I did, I didn't, I, there was no good. I would have grabbed something, but at that time, not dirt. I wasn't praying for revival. <laughs> I thought about a verse in Hebrews chapter 11 that uh, the writer, uh, he spoke of uh, those that went before us in faith, and he says this, Hebrews 11, verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were assured of them, they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things plainly declare that they seek a homeland. And this is an interesting phrase that he throws in here. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. You see, uh, Andy Stanley said this years ago, stuck with me. Uh, He said, you will eventually and not initially do do what you think. You will eventually, not initially, do what you think. I was, uh, one of the things that, (laughs) I don't know if this is confession time, you ready? Uh, One of the things that I enjoy doing, and it's going to sound really weird, but I enjoy listening to, let's just say, murder mystery podcasts that are about the person that does all the murdering, all right? So I, I don't know what it, it just is. <laughs> okay, they're serial killers. But I like, uh, I like listening to them, Not uh, to just to be able to peer into the mind of somebody like that to say, what in the world, why? What is going on with you that makes you think that way? And one of the things that they have said over and over again throughout that podcast is is that before a person ever commits a crime, they will take a step that they have been thinking about without the intentions of committing the crime. Like say a person uses a knife or something like that. They will buy the knife and carry it around with them, get it out in a crowd around people and stand there and then put it up and leave. They had no intention whatsoever of ever doing anything with it. They were just conditioning their minds to take the next step. Now, isn't it interesting that in that scenario, the mind can be disciplined to take the next step? And yet God's telling us right here to set our minds. That That is a way of looking at things and saying, I am going to, I choose to look to the heavens and operate in the heavenlies and not by the disappointing things I see on this earth. That is much, e- much more, it's, it's easy to say. It can feel much more difficult to, to execute. So, how do we do so? Good question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> in verse three, he says this this is how he goes straight to the gospel. This is how this happens. Because he, and now it, you won't see the word gospel in this description in verses three and four, but it's there. Because he says in verse number three, for you died. You're dead. You are dead. You, you feel alive, right? You can pinch yourself and you're there. You can check your checkbook, and by all accounts, that probably is telling you should be dead, <laughs> you know, because dead people can't operate on the balance of negative zero, all right? So uh, we feel alive. Spiritually speaking, on the, the realm that we're talking about here, when you and I met Jesus Christ, the part of us that had absolutely no wherewithal to choose anything other than darkness, died. You may not know that. Uh, because a lot of the times going through our, our Christian experience, we're made into this, that we've been preached this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde gospel, where there's like two different people living inside of you. And these two people hate each other. Listen, when all due with, with all due respect, without even really trying to make a joke, there's, people have to live on medication for that type of thinking because it brings them to a place to where they live in such a dichotomy that they don't even know who they are anymore. And they tell themselves that this one way of thinking that they're hearing is somebody else speaking to them. And I'm not trying to mock anybody when I'm saying that. I'm being serious. But yet, we'll sit in church and we'll have a minister look at us and say, There's two people living in you. One of them's a maniac, capable of the most horrendous of crimes, and the other person is a saint. Um, is there any wonder we struggle when we live in such a way that is opposite the gospel? Man, we give the world the gospel better than we give the church the gospel. We look at unsaved people and we say, you can come to Jesus Christ. He is going to eradicate your sin. He is going to make you new. He's going to connect you with Christ. And nothing is ever going to break that. And we're like, people are like, that's, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, that's great. I will take two of those, please. You know, that's wonderful. I didn't start doubting my position with God until I started attending church regularly. Yeah. That's when I started doubting it because I was told there's two of me and that I'm the one that is, that is responsible for killing myself off so I don't sin. Remember you die to yourself daily, or that at church? That verse is not even coming close to talking about putting yourself to death on a daily basis. It is not even close. Yes, sir, I see that hand. Yeah, Mm-hmm. whichever one you feed the more, most wins. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And what do we do? We we turn the Christian life into a war with ourselves. This is what we've done. Now, it may have been done completely innocently in some situations. So I don't want to be like draw a line in the sand, go out there, interview people. Oh, are you a dichotomist? You are. And then you put them under a guillotine. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) Ideas can be, listen, all ideas are not equal. They're not just because a person has an opinion doesn't mean it's equal with another opinion. Newsflash, twenty first, twenty twenty one. We need to put that on Facebook. All opinions are not equal. The only opinion that's equal is what. The only opinion that matters is truth. It doesn't matter how I feel about my opinion. My opinion can be wrong. Don't tell Angela I said that. So we see the gospel enter. The the first phrase of verse number three is part of the gospel. You're dead. So stop acting like and telling yourself that that area of your life that you're struggling with is alive. Because it's not. You're dead. You're dead. What's going on in your mind might be very real. But what's going on with you and God spiritually could be very false. Because you're dead. You're not alive. You've been replaced by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus himself has been fused together with you, and he is now not part of your life. He is your life. That is why I am convinced of this as believers, and it kind of goes back to they they went out from us because they were not among us. I am convinced that if a person is truly born again, if they are truly born again, they cannot successfully get out of the covenant that they are in with God. He will not allow it. Because he has said that even though you deny him, he will not deny himself. He will. He, it's kind of like this. One way or the other, Christ is going to be revealed in you. It's either going to be in this earth or you're going to die and go to heaven. And people are going to say, Jesus is in that guy. You know? It's going to be revealed. He will be shown. He will and he will not stop until he is. You know, a lot of times we, people say, why would God take the life of another person? Well, first off, when God, when God takes life, God's not a murderer, all right? We're murderers when we take life. God being the author and the giver of life, he is the one that has the right to say, not alive, alive. He has that right. And it's not murder when he does it. Now, think, think about that for just a minute when it comes to our Christian life and Christ being our life. When Christ, who shall appear in verse number 4, we will appear with Him, that's when we will be seen as we really are because we will be as He is. That's what the Bible tells us. That's not because we've been great. It's just because the Holy Spirit has been great. It's because the gospel is great. It's because this idea of setting and seeking and putting away all this wraps around the fact that you're dead and that your new life has been hid with and I take that check that out it's been hid with Christ in God now that's just the fact of the matter it doesn't I've never felt hidden necessarily not yet in my life maybe I will as time goes on all right i've felt unseen before or i felt irrelevant but I've never felt hidden, but I know that I am. Why? Because it says it right here. Uh, back in, I think it's Numbers, your favorite book of the Bible, either Numbers or Leviticus. I'm not sure which one you guys are into the most. Uh, Definitely Numbers, yeah. In Numbers chapter 16, you know, Moses is leading the children of Israel out into, you know, out of bondage for the most part, and they're going out into the wilderness there. And they get to the door of the promised land. You know the story. We can't do it. We can do it. God says, all right, here you go. All right. So he tells them, listen, if you you will just go into the promised land, you'll live in a house you haven't built, you'll drink from a well you haven't dug, you will eat the fruit of the vines that you haven't planted, all this stuff I'm going to give to you as a particular people. They went in, saw the people, said, yo, this isn't going to happen. They got out their calculator and like, equals lose. So they said, we're not going to do it. So God turned them back out into the wilderness because of their unbelief until that generation, 40 years of those that in that moment basically died off. That says a lot about what it means to have a mentality of unbelief, doesn't it? where God was just like, you know what, fine, I'll wait 40 more years. You know, If this is the way the majority of you think, I can wait. You know what I mean? I've checked the count. Yep, I'm free in 40 years. They were afraid, and I read this in a commentary. This isn't, what I'm about to read to you is not verbatim from me. The guy says, they were afraid to move ahead and unable to return to Egypt, so all they had left was the desert with its boredom, its monotony, its dryness, and its death all they had left as the reality of their situation set in the people began to murmur against moses leadership and you know what they did they started to look back at egypt didn't they and they said we want the leaks i don't know what a leak is all right it's an onion, it's an onion. okay okay i'm down with onions but you know, if I'm thinking to myself real quick, like it's 12.04 right now and we're about to finish up, and I'm I'm beginning to get a little bit hungry because Ben's Ponzi soup's wearing off right now, so I'm I'm ready to get some more food. My first thought is, is man, I wish I just had an onion right now. <laughs> just an onion. And they're like, I miss the garlic. Now I like garlic, but I'm not if I'm gonna sit down and eat an onion and garlic meal, my breath could be used as paint thinner. You know, I mean it it would be horrible. <laughs> They missed the melons. Okay, so you guys had a super organic diet back in Egypt. (laughs) Sounded really good, except for the fact that if you recall, they were starving to death before they left. You see, because as the believer, when we're not living according to who we are, and we're trapped because we can't go back to who we were, we have this unrealistic view of everything, and that's how we view life. Suddenly what we thought was all good is better than we, could, we remember it. See, that's the, deceitful, the deceitfulness of nostalgia, isn't it? We get these thoughts in our head about the way that they were when the reality of it was is they were a pain in the neck when you were in them. You just don't remember all that part. The commentator says this, even slavery looks good in a desert. That's how delusional it gets. And that's how we as believers we tend to get when, we are, when we're living as if we're alive to things we're dead to and we're trying to find the things out in the dark that God has clearly made us alive to and we get those things swapped up, we have no choice. All we have is a desert. We can't go forward. We're afraid to go back. We're stuck. And there we are, marching in this weird zigzag of life, not seeking unset. Why? Not because we're terrible people, but because we're overlooking the gospel. We're looking at something else other than death, burial, resurrection, ascension, giving of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at something else, and we will run ourselves ragged trying to find it. We'll run ourselves ragged in religious circles. We'll run ourselves ragged in the world. We'll run ourselves ragged with relationships. Uh, We'll run ourselves ragged financially. We'll do all kinds of ridiculous things. I mean, I could try to make a list, but I'd forget something, and you'd feel he didn't put it on the list. But the fact of the matter is this. Is Christ is the death of you? That's the bottom line. If you're here and you're not saved, understand you're not dead to sin. You're dead in your sin. Separated from God. You can't get there. You can't get any further from God right now than where you sit at this moment. You say, Well, I hear church talk about hell all the time. That's just a culmination of your distance from God. That's all that is. Right now, you sit as distant and as far from God as you'll ever be for the rest of your existence unless you turn from your belief and you turn to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no amount of willpower, church attendance, baptism, communion, goodness, making promises, or turning over a new leaf that is going to eradicate sin, crucify your old man, and resurrect your new one. There's no amount of your activities that can do that. Only the activity that Jesus Christ has completed. If uh, you need help with that... um, Lauren and Daniel are going to be down front. They'll be happy to pray with you. Justin and I will be up here. We'll be happy to answer any of your questions. Um, So I guess let's go ahead and pray. Lauren and Daniel, you guys are going to come on up here and pray with everybody that wants prayer. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father in heaven, we love you, and uh, we're thankful for your goodness in our lives. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that uh, we are dead and that we've been made alive in a Christ. And uh, there's none of us in this room that do not need to be reminded of that truth on the daily basis. Um, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to remind us of the ins and outs of the gospel. May we seek what's revealed. Or may we set in stone in our minds what we find. Uh, and may we do so by the power of the living Christ within us. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.